Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans. And today is the Solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, whose will is to restore all things in your beloved Son, the King of the Universe. Grant, we pray, that the whole creation set free from slavery may render your majesty service and ceaselessly proclaim your praise. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Daniel. I gazed into the visions of the night, and I saw, coming on the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. He came to the one of great age and was led into his presence. On him was conferred sovereignty, glory and kinship, and men of all peoples, nations and languages became his servants. His sovereignty is an internal sovereignty, which shall never pass away, nor will his empire ever be destroyed. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is King, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is King, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is King, with majesty enrobed. The Lord has robed himself with might. He has girded himself with power. The Lord is King, he is robed in majesty. The world you made firm not to be moved. Your throne has stood firm from of old. From all eternity, O Lord, you are. The Lord is King, he is robed in majesty. Truly your decrees are to be trusted. Holiness is fitting to your house, O Lord, until the end of time. The Lord is King, he is robed in majesty. A reading from the book of Apocalypse. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He loves us and has washed away our sins with his blood and made us a line of kings, priests to serve his God and Father to him. Then be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It is he who is coming on the clouds. Everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the races of the earth will mourn over him. This is the truth. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Blessed is he who inherits the kingdom of David our father. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Jesus replied, Do you ask this of your own accord? Or have others spoken to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? It is your own people and the chief priests who have handed you over to me. 
What have you done? Jesus replied, Mine is not a kingdom of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought to prevent my being surrendered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this kind. So you are a king then, said Pilate. It is you who say it, answered Jesus. Yes, I am a king. I was born for this. I came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. And all who are on the side of truth listen to my voice. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a very mixed history of kings in the scriptures. Now, it's by far the dominant form of social organization in the ancient world. Uh, and there's a tremendous centralization of power in the person of the king. They could summon their armies. They could defend their territories and wage war to extend their lands. Kings and royalty were the outward sign of a nation's wealth and esteem. As the central figures of the nation, they flaunted that prosperity. And so great nations like Babylon and Assyria were ruled by kings. Egypt had its pharaohs. Little tribes like the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, they're all kingdoms. But notably, Israel didn't have a king. Not at first, anyway. As the chosen race that God had taken to himself, he made a covenant with them that he was their ruler. He was their king. He was the one who gave them their law. The Israelites, they didn't like being the odd ones out regionally, though. And so they ask for a king. They want a figure who will be the pride of Israel, a sign of their power and prosperity. But through the prophet Samuel, God warns Israel against wanting a king like the other tribes and nations. He'll take your sons for his armies, warns God. Your girls will work to make his luxurious perfumes. You'll have to give a tenth of your cattle, grain and grapes to the king to feed his court. You'll be his slaves. And, says God, in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. The trouble with Israel asking for a king is that this is an explicit rejection of God's kingship and claim over Israel. They want to make Israel just like every other country. And, you know, God accedes to Israel's request for a king and they get Saul. An ego-fueled disaster, driven by his pursuit for power, Saul is succeeded by King David. Now, David kicks a few goals, but after David comes Solomon, who, despite his great wisdom, couldn't overcome his personal failures. And after Solomon, Israel splits into two kingdoms, never to unite again. The kings of Judah in the south and Israel in the north, they get worse and more corrupt. And God's prophecy shows its truth. The people regretted submitting themselves to earthly power and to earthly kingship. But what we have in the gospel is a great encounter between two kings, Pontius Pilate and Jesus of Nazareth. 
Pilate's the procurator of Judea, which meant that he was given the financial, judicial and military administration of the region in the name of the Roman emperor, who at that time happened to be Tiberius. And he's the one who begins to question Jesus. So, you're the king of the Jews. It's a sneering kind of question because here is Jesus standing before him, bound and beaten by the temple guard. Not much of a king, really. According to Pilate's way of viewing things, Jesus cuts a pretty pathetic figure, and the situation's almost laughable. But Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. In many ways, Pilate is the paradigm of the kings of this world. He was a ruthless man who violently put down insurrection. The ancient Jewish historian Philo notes that Pilate was known for his vindictiveness and furious temper. And Josephus, another first century Jewish historian, recalls an event when Pontius Pilate had taken money from the temple treasury in order to build an aqueduct. And when the crowds came to protest what he'd done, Pilate had his guards dressed in plain clothes and hiding among the people. And after giving them the signal, the guards drew their swords and started slashing randomly at the crowd, killing and injuring scores of people. Pilate seems to have been a very pragmatic man, uninterested in principles. And in the Gospel of John, we read that Pilate was not at all convinced by the accusations of the chief priests and the scribes and all that was said against Jesus. I find no case against this man, says Pontius Pilate. And yet... For political expediency, Pilate is willing to put an innocent man to death. So what's Pilate's highest goal? What's his end? He seems at the end of the day to exercise his power at all times, to increase his power if possible, and at all costs to hold on to the power that he already possesses. So you are a king then. Pilate asks for clarification. No doubt he's sizing Jesus up to see if he's a threat to his own power. And Jesus' response must have been somewhat stifling. Mine is not a kingdom of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought to prevent my being surrendered to the Jews. Yup. Jesus is king. But he's not fighting for his kingship, and no one is fighting on his behalf. This must have been a completely foreign notion to Pontius Pilate. Power was something that everyone wanted, and something that he had, and so he had to fight to keep it in his possession. A king was only as strong as his army. And here stood Jesus, the powerless king of a powerless kingdom, And it doesn't seem that Pilate is at all threatened by him. But what's happening is that Jesus is creating a thoroughly new concept of kingship and kingdom. And it stands in stark contrast to Pilate's worldly power. Where Pilate is prepared to use violence even on an innocent man, Jesus' kingdom is one of service and love. One that does not take up violence. 
If my kingdom were of this world, says Jesus, my followers would have fought to prevent me being handed over. Now, this incident harks back to an earlier time in the Gospels, when the brothers James and John ask to sit at Jesus' right and left when he's in his kingdom. And the Lord responds, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. In his suffering, death and resurrection, in his sentencing to death by Pontius Pilate, Jesus reveals himself to be truly a king. Not of armies, not of force, but the king of the kingdom of God. When we go back into the Old Testament to the time when the Israelites were asking for a king, we can begin to see the tragedy of what they were asking for. They were asking to be ruled not by God, but by the human logic of power and violence. Effectively, they were asking to be ruled by Pontius Pilate. And the result of that choice was the irreparable fracturing of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now founded on the Twelve Apostles, Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, is once again gathering the tribes together, and he takes the throne himself. Showing himself to be the true king according to the logic of the kingdom of God, Jesus stands before Pilate and accepts his condemnation. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we see being repaired is the damage done by Israel in asking for a king, rather than accepting God as their king. The true king returns, and he takes back his throne. When we gaze upon Christ meekly standing before Pontius Pilate, we can begin to see what kind of king Christ is. His kingship is marked by service. His kingdom is marked by love by making a total gift of himself for our sake. Knowing the love of Jesus for each of us, how could we fail to place ourselves under the lordship of such a king? How could we remain insensitive and inattentive to a king who loves without limit and who seeks to serve us so wholeheartedly? I think especially now, we're often suspicious of kings and queens, presidents and prime ministers. When others wield power, the danger is always that we may be crushed by it. The power of Christ the King is not a cause for terror, however, since his power is wielded by a loving hand, a hand which healed the sick, a hand which welcomed the sinner, and ultimately a hand which was nailed to the cross for our sake. And so on the Feast of Christ the King, we're presented once again with Pilate, with Jesus, under whose kingship do we place our lives? And to whose kingdom do we belong? Since it's the last Sunday of the liturgical year, let's make a liturgical New Year's resolution to rededicate ourselves to being a citizen of the kingdom of God 
and a loyal and loved subject of Christ our King. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.